Coming up on this episode, author Maz Maddox joins us to talk about centaur shifters and badass dinosaurs. Welcome to episode 269 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. I'm Jeff Adams, and with me, as always, is my co-host and the man that I am most thankful for, Will Knaus. Aw, that's sweet. Welcome back, Rainbow Romance readers, and happy Thanksgiving week as we roll into what many consider the official start of the holiday season. 2020 has certainly been a year, hasn't it? But we hope you are able to take some time this weekend to give thanks for something. I know I have plenty to be thankful for this year, and we certainly hope you're able to celebrate this weekend. If nothing else, maybe with some really good books. And we've certainly got some to talk about this week. Before we get to that, we want to remind you that coming up on Thanksgiving Day, the Big Gay Fiction Book Club episode for the month of November will be arriving in your podcast feed. This month, our book club pick is The Holiday Romance, The Christmas Deal by Kira Andrews. Now, this is a story that I absolutely love. Kira Andrews certainly knows how to deliver all of the holiday feels. And if you haven't read it already, we hope that you'll give The Christmas Deal a try and listen to the book club episode when it drops on Thanksgiving Day. Should be a perfect start to your holiday reading. Now, something new that is on its way is book six in Maz Maddox's Stallion Ridge series. Book one of this series is something that we featured earlier this year on the Big Gay Fiction Book Club. And I never knew I could fall so hard for a centaur shifter sheriff. Oh my God, this series is so much fun. And it was really a treat to sit down and talk to Maz, not just about Stallion Ridge and this new book, but also her new series that deals with dinosaur shifters. She has such a wonderful imagination and creates such wonderful worlds. And I'm really excited to get to share with all of you how she creates all of this. Maz, welcome to the show. It is so awesome to have you here to finally sit down for a full interview. I'm so excited when you sent me the email asking me to join the show. It's always so exciting to be on it, but this is the first time I've been able to be here as my author self. So I'm very, very honored to be on the show. Yeah, it's been interesting that, you know, you've been out as Marky with your with Top to Bottom podcast a couple of times. We've talked to you mm-hmm. kind of split and made you like put your Marky hat on and your Maz hat on <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> Just like, we need to get the full story yes, on yes. Maz. So, and it's a good time to do it because- the sixth installment of Stallion Ridge is on the way. Mm-hmm, now, just around the corner. For those who may have missed the June Book Club episode on Heartache and Hoofbeats, which of course we both adored, tell us about Stallion Ridge and where the inspiration came from for this series because it's such an awesome story. So it is a Western action adventure and mem romance with unconventional shifters like centaurs, mermans, Mermen, I guess, not mermans, (laughs) manticores, and, you know, other big fantastical beasts. And it's a series that is like near and dear to my heart because it's my first one I've ever published. And just like it sounds, it's ridiculous and fun and full of action and it's awesome. But it, the origin of actually how it started is kind of ridiculous because it started off as a joke as things with centaurs typically do. But at the time when the story was birthed I was working weird shifts at a 911 call center in downtown Fort Worth which if people don't know Fort Worth and its aesthetic it's in Texas and it is the most like cowboy centric town there is like they've got stockyards and they do steer parades like it's just it's 
over the top Western and ridiculous. So working in a 911 call center, a lot of that bleeds over. Like all of our officers have cowboy hats. It's nuts. So I was working some weird shift and I was texting Jess, who's my partner in crime on everything. And she's also my content editor. And we were talking about a story, a, a contemporary story that I was writing at the time, which is terrible and we'll never see the light of day. But we were joking about how if we were going to put these characters in like a Western setting, like what would it be like? And somehow we started talking about shifters, probably because I was like, you know, eyeball deep in MM romance at the time, probably reading like a thousand Charlie Cochet books. And um, we joked that one of them would have to be a centaur because that makes the most sense if you're a cowboy. So as it started out as like this goofy joke to just get me through my long shift at 911, my head just exploded with ideas. I was like, actually, I think I have an idea for a real story. Like, I think I could make something out of this. So it started as just a texting joke to keep myself entertained and just blossomed into this huge world that I'm six books deep at this point. Did you envision the series when you started with your centaur shifter? Uh, yeah, kind of, because when, when I was not really outlining, because at the time I was like a pure panster. And since then I've, I've kind of morphed into a different writing style. But at the time I was just hundred percent panther. So I just hit the ground running and just made it up as I went. So as I was coming up with deputies for Cal, the centaur sheriff to have, I started realizing that each of these deputies has backstories that I can stretch out into books. And I was like, oh, that's fun. I can make like each book, would it be about these deputies and them finding love and different shifters and kind of stretching out this world. So as more side characters came in, the like, I think it started out being five or six books. And from there, like, I think it grew by two. <laughs> like, I just kept getting more story ideas and the books have changed like certain story or certain characters were supposed to get books, but then they took a backseat to somebody else. Like it's just, it just kind of just got big really fast. <laughs> <laughs> and they've come out over a relatively short amount of time. Cause I, if I recall 2018 was when Heartache and Hoofbeats came out. Yeah. Yeah. It was the day before, after my birthday is when Heartache and Hoofbeats came out in 2018. And from there, it's just, I, I'm fortunate that sometimes when the words happen, I could just word vomit and these stories will just pour out of me. And then sometimes it's a grind, but I've been lucky so far that these stories have just been just a blast that they just pour onto the page pretty fast. And it seems like they're, they, they might be fun to write too. Cause I mean, certainly oh, yeah. for us, Heartache and Hoofbeats was ridiculously fun. It was really the book that we didn't know we needed to read. <laughs> that we just <laughs> went crazy for Thanks. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're a blast to write just because it's, I try to keep them fun and entertaining. And I actually, I was, I was talking to Kurt the other day about like, if I had to describe my writing style, I was like, look, I'm not TJ Klune. I'm not going to like change your life. But I like, I try to put a lot of action into it, make it fun. And I attempt to be funny. And that's like, that's my writing style in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> but you do it so well. That's the thing. It was a very real dramatic situation in heartache and hoofbeats that had this nice layer of comedy and this nice layer of romance and a, a lot of action yeah i try to keep because i have a really bad attention span so unless there's like explosions and a lot of things happening i'm usually like oh i'm gonna go clean the kitchen like i just i'm too add for my own good so my books have to be like just packed with action so my goal is for people to be like, wow, this is fun. I would like, it's like reading an action movie. Like that's what I mm -hmm. want it to be like. 
we've talked to some authors who use action figures and stuff to like map out their battle scenes. How do you map out your battle scenes? Because there's quite a few that are like big shootouts across multiple buildings and people all over the place. How do you keep track of everybody? It's kind of a mix of I'm, I guess it won't be surprising that I'm into action movies and, you know, things like that. I'm into comic books with a lot of action. I'm also an avid gamer. So I play a lot of like third person RPGs where a lot of that shit is happening all at once. So I'm used to kind of visualizing what's happening. But a good portion of that is me writing out a scene and then having Jess go back through and be like, hey, this guy came out of nowhere. Or like, why is this dude on this building? Didn't you just say he was down here? And I'm like, oh, shit. So a lot of it is rewriting and fixing. But for the most part, I, I could visualize it in my head really well. And then as it pours onto the page, that's when the little like random people will be in weird spots. So we have to clean it up. But yeah. So what do we have to look forward to in this sixth book? So the sixth book in the Stallion Ridge series is Sky's book, which Sky is a very complicated character. He's a man, I don't even know where to begin with Sky because this, this book has like just slapped me over the head so many times. He's a loner character who's kind of on the fringe of the society and the fringe of the group, but he is also their guardian and their protector. Like he, he watches over Stallion Ridge, but he never considers himself part of it. Like he on purpose leaves himself out on the fringes. He's um, a different type of shifter where, whereas the shifters in my universe are born as shifters, they're their own species. Sky is actually a human who has turned into a shifter, which is extremely rare and something that only his people and his tribe can do. So not a lot of people understand him. So he's kind of in that weird in between where he's not really a shifter, so he doesn't fit in and humans don't get him or are a little afraid of him because he can be in both worlds like that. So this book is a little heavier than my other books. Like I, I definitely rolled in the comedy. I ha it has to have its funny moments, but it's not as lighthearted and ridiculous as some of the earlier books because Sky is a tragic character. He's alone. He has a, a tragic background and things like that had to surface to make the story make sense. And it's also the book before the last book in the series. So there's seven books total. This is number six. So a lot of the stuff that happens in this book steps right into what's going to be happening in, in seven. So I really had to, one, write Sky well, because he's great and I love him. And a lot of people are really excited about his story. But I also had to really stick the landing and make it to where you're excited about the finale, because there's a lot of stuff that's going to be happening in book seven. So Whereas the other books were really easy and fun to write because there's action scene and humor and ridiculousness and all this stuff. This one had the most rewrites and mm -hmm. like Sky's love interest, his species changed three times. Like it's just, this book has kicked my ass and I'm like, I'm really happy where it is now and I'm really excited to bring it out, but I've never worked so hard on making sure that a book is perfect as much as I have with Sky's book. I'm so excited that it's Sky. I was captivated by Sky back in Heartache and Hoofbeats because he's, you could tell that he, you know, is part of the group, but not part of the group. And he, mm -hmm. you know, lives outside of town and things like that. So I'm excited that it's his story that gets to come front and center. I'm intrigued to see what kind of individual attracts Sky from yeah. a romance standpoint. Yeah, and that was one of the 
uh, questions I had for my betas because my two betas that have read all of my books or who are dear friends of mine, like in real life, one of my questions I had for them with the first pass of the book was, you know, is this person good enough for Sky and is Sky good enough for him? Like, do they match? Because it, this guy's really like the bar is high because like the person who steals Sky's heart has to be like perfect, you know? And the first iteration, they're like, no, no, he's not. So I was like, shit. So I had to go back in and fix things and add things and make things make more sense until I finally got their seal of approval. So once my two biggest Sky fans said it was okay, I was like, okay, I think the rest of the world will like it. Then. <laughs> and what can you tease potentially about the finale? And I'll start with maybe the easiest question is when do you think it comes out? So my goal, and if, if, Sky's book's difficulty was any indication. I'm sure book seven is going to also be a monster to wrangle and get everything just right. Definitely 2021, because it's not going to take me a year to finish this book. But man, maybe summer or fall, like just with the other stuff I have planned and how much planning I have to go into book seven. But it's the end of the story. It's everything coming to a head, like things that have been going on is finally going to settle and it's going to be a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> like I can't say anything because it's, it's not out yet or, you know, Sky's book's not out yet. So I can't be like, blah, blah, this, but it's, it, there's so much, there's so much. And I'm, it's a really bittersweet thing. Cause I, I know that it's going to be a really awesome end to the series, but it's also going to be the end of the series so it's going to be the final dot the final the end scrolling on the screen kind of thing so yeah you mentioned over time that you've shifted from pantser to more of a plotter how long have you known what the end of the series is i knew how i wanted to end it with who was going to be front and center pretty early on but i didn't know how i was going to get there until probably book like three or four because I was like I'll figure out how we're going to land here but I just don't know yet so since I started off as such a pure panzer and everything was just kind of just just going for it once we hit like I want to say once we hit Max book which was four Jess was like okay we got to plot this stuff out from here on out because I mean you can't just wing it into the final like we need to set things up we need to make things apparent we need to make things make sense. So from then on out, it, it was more of a hybrid thing to where it's like a discovery author, I think is what they call it, to where it's like, you're still kind of pantsing, but you have an idea of what's going to be ahead. And you just kind of let things blossom out as you expand on your outline. So I had an idea of what we were going to do. And then when I was writing book five, I got like, I got slapped in the back of the head with exactly how I'm going to make book seven happen and like the end of book six and I was like oh shit this is it this is the thing right so it just kind of came out of nowhere and it since Jess made me do a hard stop and plot everything out I was like oh my god I didn't write myself in a corner this is beautiful <laughs> so yeah you've made quite a world here with Stallion Ridge yeah how much of it is like rooted in maybe research you've done either Old West or about you know, some of the creatures that you've created and how much of it is just your creativity going and going for broke and making it up? So I would say most of it is me just making it up 
like I do a little bit of research with the Wild West because I wasn't sure like what had been invented at the time. So I didn't want to try to bring stuff in that didn't work, even though it's a fictional world and really I could and be like, hey, it's not real. They had flashlights, get over it. Like I just wanted to (laughs) try to keep it as ish like in a plot or in a timeline that made sense. But then as far as the mythical creatures, I mean, I, I looked into them a little bit. Like I know that the a little bit more of like the origin of like the Minotaur and, and the maze thing and centaurs and kind of where they came from and stuff. But I was like, well, I don't want them to be from where they originated. Like they're not Greek. They're they're in this contained world. So I just kind of took like my inspiration of what these characters would be like and then molded like their culture around if they were shifters. So like with centaurs, since they move between two forms, they've got the, the sash that goes around their waist. One of my backgrounds is anthropology. So I used to study a lot of cultures and stuff. So I was like, well, there's a lot of traditional garments and different cultures. So I was like, well, that would make sense that they would have like a coming of age thing where it's like when they hit puberty and they could switch between two forms and they're gifted these these ceremonial sashes that they could use to transition without being offensive to like nudity and things like that. So it was just one of those things where it all sort of made sense as I was writing it. So a good chunk of it was me just daydreaming and making things fit from reading into different cultures. And then a little bit of watching a lot of old Clint Eastwood Westerns and just getting inspirations and stuff. Like I could watch the good, bad and the ugly and be like, all right, I got some ideas. (laughs) Those were some good movies to get kind yeah, of a window great. into that world. Yeah, absolutely. I was like, man, I don't think I could ever write as good of a like cowboy as Clint Eastwood was, but I was like, that guy is the best. Now, earlier this year, you also started up a brand new series with Relic. Mm-hmm. And this time you went towards dinosaurs. What's the Relic series about? And then talk to us specifically about that first book. So the Relic series, uh, Relic stands for Reclaiming Extinct Lineage from Illegal Collectors. So it is about a band of badass dinosaur shifter guys who tackle fossil poaching, which is actually something I'm extremely passionate about because if you don't know me, I'm a huge paleontology nerd. I love dinosaurs. I love fossils. I have a pretty deep background and like I used to volunteer for the Uh, Institute of Mongolian Dinosaurs. They have a huge like poaching problem, especially with Mongolia, where people will go in, dig up all these cool fossils, and then hightail it back to America and sell these fossils for millions of dollars. Like one of the biggest cases that is more famous here is Nicolas Cage had a Tyrannosaurus skull that he bought for like, I don't know, like a gratuitous amount of money, like $6 million or something, because it was this beautiful, giant, authentic skull. Well, it was from Mongolia. So the lady who runs the Institution for the Study of Mongolian Dinosaurs, she fought to get that skull repatriated back to her country. And so he had to cough it up and just be out of that millions of dollars because it's not his and they weren't allowed to sell it to him. So it's it's something I've kind of always wanted to do a story around because I love like bringing that to the forefront of people's attention and stuff like that. So being able to use my love of MM romance and building cool characters, then also having a cool plot line, like something that I actually care about and how these guys will, you know, go in their guns blazing and rescue these fossils and get them back into the museums and universities and stuff. It's just been 
super fun and it's set in modern times so I could use like normal vernacular and they have cell phones <laughs> it's a lot easier than writing wild west <laughs> no more questions than if they have a flashlight or not they can have exactly. all the tech they want <laughs> yes yes it's been a lot more just I don't have to research like that but I do have to research real life geography so I'll run into different problems where I don't have to worry about flashlights but I have to worry about like oh crap like this is a real continent. So I actually have to plot out like, well, if they need to get from here to here, like I have to make sure that makes sense. So. <laughs> There's always something that has to be researched and yes. sorted out. I, like, I'm un unreasonably pissed off that I like had a cool plot line for this next book that I'm writing and then realized that it totally didn't make sense that they ended up there based on the events that had already happened. So I have to go back in and fix it. I was like, writing in the real world sucks. Like I should just make this my own continent. These books too seem like kind of fun, heisty, almost romantic suspense plots too with the way mm -hmm. that you're doing because of what these characters have to do as part of this, you know, essentially task force getting these relics back. Right. Is that fun to write as like an alternative to Stallion Ridge to go down that path? Yeah, it definitely is. Because I, I mean, I don't think I'm super great at writing heisty things, but I can write dumbass characters trying to do that. And that's what makes it fun. Like in the first book, it's a paleontologist who gets scooped up into all this madness when he didn't really want to. And then the shifter guy who he's got to follow around is like this crazy punk guy who has a pink mohawk and loves chaos. And like, honestly, if Dalton could just set something on fire and run, like that's how he fixes problems. <laughs> so it's not like, it has definitely like, these guys have training and they can step up and be badasses. But for the most part, they're just, they're, some of them are total goofballs. So Dalton is definitely going to be the guy who somebody will be like, okay, here's the plan. Make sure you follow this. And he's like, got it. And then you pan to like absolute chaos. Like he didn't obviously didn't follow the plan. There's spray paint everywhere and nothing makes sense. Whereas like in the second book, the character, his name is Baja and he's completely by the book. There is no wiggle room. He has a set plan. And if you deviate from the plan, he's going to get mad. So it's like, I, I like the different characters who they handle everything totally differently. So the first book is going to be nuts and funny and ridiculous. And then the second book is going to be poor Baja trying to do things and things not going his way. <laughs> do you have a projection on when the second book arrives? No, I was doing pretty good, trucking along. And then I actually found out that, because this book is going to be set off the coast of Portugal. And I found out while reading Rise of the Dinosaurs that there is a huge jurassic formation right on the coast of portugal that has like a bunch of really cool trace fossils and i was like well they have to go there so i'm trying to figure out like how i can get them there based on what i've done and now i have to go back and rearrange things because real life geography <laughs> yeah real life geography yeah so i'm like crap so now i've got to go in and fix some stuff so it's put me a little behind What's your projection on the Relic series? Will it go as long as Stallion Ridge did? No, it's not as long. I have five books planned right now, so I can't really see myself deviating from that. I mean, if there's another side character who pops up, like in Stallion Ridge, like Scarlet came out of freaking nowhere and demanded a book, so that happened. But 
relic if if there's a side character that flares up that I wasn't expecting, maybe. But right now, these guys are pretty set, so I have a pretty good idea of five books at this point. Cool. What is it about shifters and like some of these alternate worlds that you're creating? I mean, you're dealing with real world geography now, but you do have a pivot on things because you've got dinosaur shifters. Right. What is it about that attracts you for your writing? You know, that's a good question. And I was trying to think of a super good answer for that last night, but I think I just like weird stuff. I like strange stuff. I've, I love stories with big fantastical characters and creatures. I referenced before I'm a big gamer. So I'm, I love diving into like worlds like the Witcher or Dragon Age or Skyrim that have these huge larger than life beasties that you have to tackle down or being able to play as like a cool species, like especially in Skyrim, I get to be an Argonian, which is basically a dinosaur person. So I get to roll around fighting dragons as this cool scaly lady. So like, I've just always been attracted to just big, wonderful, dynamic, crazy worlds filled with monsters and, and creatures and stuff like that. I've been like that since I was a kid. I love monsters and animals and stuff like that. So shifters. And I think that's most of the people who really like shifters are the same way. You have to just really love animals and different cool fantasy worlds and, and things like that. I think that's, I, I fit along with everybody else who loves shifters as, as far as that goes. I just, I love cool, strange, fun things. You mentioned earlier that you know, you've got this contemporary that you wrote that's terrible, that's up in a drawer somewhere. Right. Is there a story that you could see writing that way at this point that is just full out contemporary? I mean, never say never, because I, I remember at a past interview with TJ, him saying that like he swore up and down he'd never do werewolves and haha, Green Creek. So I think, I don't think it's out of the, out of my realm. I could probably do a contemporary and there's like some of my favorite genres to read are like the action thriller contemporaries or like the cool like murder mystery ones and stuff like that. Like I love contemporary romance. There's some really great shit out there. I just, I know that if I wrote it, it would have to be high action and, and things like that. So maybe, I mean, I, I've been wanting to get into action thrillers or maybe like a high fantasy kind of thing. So I don't know. Yes? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> when you're building your romance arcs, do you have favorite tropes you like to play with? Yeah, I really like Enemies to Lovers is my all-time favorite. Like, I feel like I could read and write that forever and just never get sick of it. But I also really like their, like, really, like, cocky, sure-of-himself guy and, like, really shy guy. Like, I really like that dynamic. I think because that was how me and my husband met. I was super, super shy. And Alex is, like, this really boisterous personality who's just always at a 10. And that's why I fell in love with him. So... I love that trope a lot. And I also saw one recently that I thought was so great and I want it to be mine. But somebody said like idiot and idiot, like two like really just either oblivious or dumb characters that somehow fall in love. And I was like, I think I could do that. I think that would be fun. So yeah, I think those are my, definitely enemies to lover and, and cocky and shy are my super favorites. You certainly did enemies to lovers to great degree in heartache and hoofbeats. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> that was that two. was fun. What got you started writing? I mean, it sounds like you've been creative and had these thoughts for a long time. Yeah, I think. I mean, I definitely have been writing since I was a kid. Like me and my 
best friend of 20 plus years. We used to write little short stories about nonsense together and things like that. But I didn't really get serious into writing with the emphasis of publishing until I was working at 911. And just that's when I discovered MM Romance, like the novels, because I, I used to read like comic books and stuff with MM Romance, but it was not the same. Once I found the novels, I started just eating those like crazy. I would go through two, three books a week because I'd be sitting, taking calls and just pouring over these books. So I, I would say about a year into reading super heavy MM romance and doing the podcast and everything, I was like, okay, I want to take these ideas and I want to do MM romance. This is what I love. I can't get enough of it. I want to play in this world and this dynamic. So I would say probably a year before Heartache and Hoofbeats came out is when I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give it a shot. And if it doesn't work, whatever. If it does work, I'll keep going with it and just seeing what happens. I really love your story on that, going from reader to passionate enough about the, the books to start the podcast mm -hmm. to I'm going to write my own books. It's an amazing trajectory. Yeah, it's been fun. And I, I think within the, the MM romance community, you find that a lot. Like it's one of those genres that people love with their whole hearts. Like I've met romance readers across the board, just generic romance readers who they're like, yeah, it's, I like it. I really like it. But when you get into MM romance, we love so hard. Like we, mm -hmm. we hold on to these stories. We follow them. We, we cry when things happen. We, you know, we get really connected with our authors because a lot of our authors are, you know, easily accessible and, and have a big online presence and are wonderful people. So it's hard not to stumble into a full fangirl. Like when you dip your toe and you fall right into the deep end, it's hard not to do that. And I think that's got to be not a uniquely MM romance thing because I'm sure other genres have that, but I haven't seen it as warm and gripping in other genres as, as far as like fan groups and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's a really unique community for sure. That's yeah. really awesome. Who are some of your author influences as you've been writing and gearing up to write? I think the ones that had the biggest impact that really pushed me to want to write, because I, I read so many, I mean, <laughs> so many books, but the ones that really stood out and made me think like, you know what, this is what I want to sound like. This is what I want to go for. TJ Klein, obviously, I think that's a lot of people's inspiration, but he's brilliant. Like his stories have insane hearts. I don't think I've cried so hard over any work of fiction other than the first Wolf song, like listening to that in my car. I had just gotten to work and it was right. And I'm not gonna spoil anything. It was right when a very big thing happened um, that was very tragic. And I was just a sobbing mess. I would love to get to the point in my author career to where I could write something that just like takes your heart and punches it across the room, but we'll see how that goes. But it's also like, and stories are hilarious. Like they're so funny because the characters are real and awkward and ridiculous. And they don't have, like a lot of them are just, they feel like people you've met that you that you know in your life. So I, when I grow up, I want to be TJ Clune. We'll just say that. But <laughs> other than Clune, Charlie Cochet, of course, her shifters are hilarious. Dex is one of my all-time favorite characters. Lots of action, really fun. That, I think that was the first shifter series that I read that was like, oh shit, this is fun. Like these are like, it had a cool world as far as like how the shifters are 
why they are and how the relationship dynamics are just hysterical and I, I just couldn't get enough of them. I loved all of them. Recently, I found Alice Winters and holy shit, like those books are so funny. I was like, this is my sense of humor. Like this is my style of humor and she nails it. And I was like, I, if I could get something this funny, I would have like achieved a life goal. It was so good. And then I would say the last one is Jex Lane, which is not my typical style of things to read because it's pretty dark, but her world building is kick ass. Like the way that she has the worlds of like the vampires and the incubi and stuff like that. It's just like, I could tell this woman has been deep into like World of Warcraft and cool lore stuff like that because she just has these cool underlying like weapon systems and it's just neat, man. I like, I love the way she builds up her worlds and she's just a fantastic human being too. So, but those are the ones that I like, those are my goals. Like if I can have the heart of Clune, the comedy of Alice Winters, the badass shifters like Coche and the world building like Jex Lane, I will be like the story goddess. <laughs> <laughs> What's a book you've read over the past few months that you would actually recommend to our listeners? So the last one that I picked up that I just, couldn't put down and I actually haven't been able to read a super ton which is hysterical because it's a pandemic so this is like the time to get back into reading but I read The Last Sun by Katie Edwards and I've just read the first book but oh man it was good it was urban fantasy which is kind of hit or miss either I'm like I'm really into it or I'm like eh, I don't really care but man I couldn't put that book down I devoured it in like maybe three days like I really need to pick up the second one but I love that one that was really good and like, it's definitely not a strong romance. The romance is a subplot. It's more about the magic system and like the cool stuff that's happening with the houses and the and the story. But it's got like a kind of pseudo love triangle thing, which I often don't like. But as I'm like, oh, love triangles, I don't really like that. The Like the other side of me is like, he better end up with this guy or I'm going to revolt. <laughs> so yeah, Katie Edwards has my number because I, I was immediately a huge fan. Nice. We've talked a little bit about what's coming next, the the seventh book of Stallion Ridge, and there's more Relic. Is there anything mm-hmm. else you could tease us about what's coming for you like into 2021? I'm working on a little winter holiday short story about a guy who accidentally summons a demon during a moment of depression. And now this demon has to go with him to a Christmas party. And it's <laughs> the most dumb premise, but it's been a blast to write because I was like, what would be the most ridiculous person to have to go to like an ugly sweater Christmas party as a fake boyfriend. I was like, a demon, that would be good. So that's what I'm working on currently in between finishing up Sky's edits and working on the second Relic book is this dumb little freebie holiday short story that'll be out, I think, around either Christmas time or like the beginning of 2021. That just sounds hilarious. I mean, first accidentally <laughs> summoning a demon and then to have to make it your fake boyfriend. It's like, yeah. that's kind of gold. <laughs> <laughs> My goal is to be really funny. And I remember I posted in the group about how, you know, what the story was about. And somebody was like, I'm glad I'm not the only one writing something dark. I was like, oh, it's not dark. <laughs> it's, it's not dark. It's it's silly. <laughs> they don't know you well enough. <laughs> no, I was like, I don't, I don't write dark. I can't. I'm too full of shit. How can people keep up with you online to know when all the books are coming out and when the giveaway story will be available? So I do have a newsletter. You can sign up through my website. It's just masmadux.com. There's a little uh, tab that says like contact slash subscribe. You could go there and 
subscribe. Um, otherwise, I'm on Facebook way too much for my own good. So I have a normal, just normal person profile that I'm on more than my page. So I would say newsletter, if you just want to get updates and not have to listen to me talk about weird stuff, like there was a new paleontological find about what dinosaur buttholes look like. And I shared that with everybody I knew. So if you want more things like that, follow me on Facebook. If you just want news about my um, upcoming releases and stuff, newsletter is probably the way to go. Fantastic. Well, Maz, thank you so much. This has been a blast getting to learn more about your writing and your origin story. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This week's interview transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the author interview for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. And don't forget, the show notes page also has links to everything that we've talked about. I have never, ever thought I would read so much shifter material. But the more we talk to the authors who create this stuff, the more I just want to take it all in. Thanks so much to Maz for telling us all about these wonderful shifters that she creates. And I, I really just need more time to dive into all of it. All right. I think that'll do it for this episode. Now, coming up next in episode 270, we have this month's book club pick. All About the Christmas Deal by Kira Andrews, so you're not going to want to miss that when it arrives in your podcast feed on Thursday. We want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule and listening to the show. So, until next time, please stay strong, be safe, and above all else, keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. If you're looking for more shows to try out, go to frolic.media slash podcasts. Our original theme music is composed by Daryl Banner. Thank you.